Well, a couple weeks ago, I was hiking up one of our local mountains, and it's not a long hike, not a really hard hike, but it is a steep hike going up the mountain. And about three quarters of the way up the mountain, there was a few people ahead of me. There was a lot, lot of traffic on the mountain at this time of day, but there was a few people specifically ahead of me that were talking. And all of a sudden, one of the guys who was talking gets to one point on the turn on the mountain and says, oh yeah, it was right here. It, it was right here that guy split his knee open, like just wide open. I mean, it was just gushing blood. It was horrible. And in that moment, he had elevated his tone a little bit. He'd stopped suddenly, and out of nowhere, he says, this guy split his knee wide open. It was gushing blood. It was horrible. And the people around him, including myself, all kind of gasped in this moment. And we all kind of quietly were like, ow. I mean, that, that doesn't sound good because the thought begins to set in like, we're doing the same thing that guy did, and that's possible. Like, apparently, you can split your knee wide open hiking up Pistola Peak. And so all of us are like a little bit, ow, uncomfortable. And I think what was interesting about that conversation and that moment that he had was he never mentioned any of the guy's progress before that. Like he started at, the guy split his knee wide open, Right? He didn't talk about, we were about three quarters of the, of the way up that mountain at that point. He didn't talk about the guy's progress. He just skipped to the guy's pain. Now, it's, it's important to hear about that pain, like I said, because all of us took a little bit more caution with our steps as we went up that mountain. But it's also important to hear about the progress, right? It's also important to hear about the first part of the story. Well, we're starting a new series today called Broken People, Big God, looking at the story of, of Adam and Eve. And I think for most of us, what we've heard about the story of Adam and Eve is them splitting their knee wide open and gushing blood, right? And we just think, that's horrible. Because we think about, when we think about Adam and Eve, maybe if you're new to church, this is what you think about because you've seen a painting or you've seen an advertisement for apples. You think about the garden, and you think about there was a serpent, and you think about there was an apple, and you think about sin, you think about the pain. But the reality is, as we look at scripture, that's not where the story starts, is it? Some things happen before they split their knee wide open, and so today we're going to look at Adam and Eve, and I want to look at their story, and we'll get to the sin as well, but I want us to see how it began. How did it start out? Because it didn't start out with the pain. It started out with something different, God's intended design. And as we look at their story and God's intended design for them, I want you and I to look at our story and see how we can relate to that and what is God's really uh, intended design for us. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, Genesis 2, 15 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, I'd like you to grab one. There should be one right around you. Uh, You can pull it up on your app, uh, look on the screen. I really want you to follow along in God's word with us. And we're going to look at two things primarily. We could look at a hundred things in the story of Adam and Eve. We're just going to look at two really closely. And it's this, if you're taking notes, that we are made for stewardship and that we are made for relationship. Made for stewardship, made for relationship. So the first thing is we're made for stewardship. As we come to chapter two, the context is creation. Even if you're new to the Bible, this should be easy to flip to because it's just a few pages in. This is the beginning. This is the created order, the created design from God. And so just briefly, as we look at that, chapter 1, if you've read that, kind of lays out an overview of God's creation. 
Chapter 2 begins to hone in on some details of God's creation. So as we come to chapter 2, 15 through 18, you'll notice some of these details. One is this. I want you to see this as you look at the verses. Each sentence in this passage starts the same way. Look at it with me. Verse 15. It says, the Lord God took. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded. Verse 18. The Lord God said. There's three sentences in that passage. How does each one of them start? The Lord God. And so if you look at the context, if you look at these verses, who would you say the main character of creation is? The Lord God, yeah. You go back to the very beginning, Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, the first words of our Bible, in the beginning, who? God. So the main character of all of creation is God. But we notice something really specific there. It says, the Lord God in this passage. Now, Lord identifies someone who owns something, who owns property, who owns land or a a, a house. And so as we look at creation and it says, the Lord God. What it's talking about is that all of creation, everything we see, everything in the universe, that's God's house. That's God's house. He's Lord over it all. There's nothing he's not Lord over. There's nothing that is that he didn't create. But he gives man the incredible privilege to steward what he has created. God owns it all. But he gives us the opportunity to steward what he has created. And we see that in verse 15. He takes the man, he puts him in his house, in his garden, and he says, you're going to work this. You're going to take care of this. This is mine. I own it, but you get to steward it. And as we look at it, he gets to steward essentially two things. He gets to steward work, and he gets to steward, in his case, paradise. And so first of all, I want you to see that connection that work gets put in paradise, The sequence here is really, really important as we look at a lot of different things, but we're in Genesis 2. The fall happens when? Genesis 3, right? So we're before the fall, before sin has entered the scenario. Everything's perfect, but there's work put in paradise paradise. And so that should tell us that that work, the nature of work, is a good and right part of God's creation. And some of you are thinking, well, Tim, I don't know about my job. Like, I think my job may be a result of sin. Like, I mean, Tim, you don't know what I do on a daily basis. You don't know my boss. I mean, maybe if I was in the Garden of Eden like Adam and Eve, maybe I could say my work is is part paradise. But I, I think my work is closer to hell than paradise. Because you don't like your job. You don't like what you do. That's when we say the case of the Mondays. It's not a a good thing. We wrestle with our work. But what you need to see is that in the beginning, before sin, before the fall, work is a good thing. That God is Lord over everything. He has created everything. But he gives you and I the amazing privilege to work it, to care for it. That, That term work in the original language literally means to prepare to tend to, to keep, to watch out for. That God, in all his power, in all his omniscience, that he puts everything on the map. But he says, you know what? I could come down, I could work this garden better than you, Adam. I could work it a hundred times better than you. 
I could come down today, I could resurrect uh, buildings, I could do software development, I could do surgeries, I could play instruments better than anyone else because I'm God, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to set it up, but I'm going to let you hit it out of the park, right? God puts the ball on the tee and lets us play the game. He lets us work. And so listen, do some of you need to get a new job? Yeah, maybe. Do some of you need to think through, like, am I just working for a paycheck? Am I just working for the weekend? Or is this something God has designed me to do, created me to do? Am I, am I stewarding what he's given me well? You need to ask that question. But a lot of us, if we're honest, we need to stay at our job, and we just need to reframe our view of work. Right? We need to reframe our view of work. Because, listen, it's going to be hard. Genesis 3, the ground is cursed. Because of sin, so work does become toilsome. It does become difficult, right? That's why it's called work. It's not easy, right? But the reality is so many of us jump from job to job hoping that maybe we'll find some fulfillment in something else in a different vocation or a different profession. And the problem is not the profession. The problem is the person. It's us, right? We don't have a, an accurate view of work. And as we look at Adam. As we look at how his story starts, we see work should be a good thing. By nature, we get to steward all that God has given us through work. So work matters. About a third of your life will be spent working. So how are you caring for it? How are you tending to it? How are you protecting it? Are you looking just at your boss or are you looking at the Lord over all creation? who has placed you in that job, in that cubicle, in that outside venue where you work, who has placed you there for a purpose, to tend to it, to care for it, to steward what God has given you, to image him. How are you doing with work? We should see it as stewardship, and it's, amazing. it's an amazing gift that God gives us. But if you notice, God doesn't call us just to steward work. He, he calls us to steward the fruit of our work. In this case, again, it's, it's paradise. Uh, we look at the Garden of Eden, and, and God tells Adam, hey, I don't want you just to, to work it. I want you to enjoy it. He tells him he can eat of every tree of the garden. So he gets to steward the work and also the fruit of his work. And if you look at the end, if you go back, chapter 1, verse 29 it says this, God gives man every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. Chapter two, he gives a tree called the tree of life. And if that wasn't enough, God starts to unleash rivers. If you read earlier in chapter two, we see all these different rivers, all these different names of rivers. It says that there's one main river and it splits into four rivers. And so you have the tree of life, all these amazing fruits, every plant on the face of the earth that Adam has access to that, to steward that as well, the pleasure, but also the pain of, of work. And God gives him that. And, and the closest thing, when I, when I try to picture this, and maybe you've tried to picture, what does this actually look like? All these trees, all these rivers, what does that really look like? The closest thing I can think of is Havasupai Falls. Some of you know, my, my wife and I went there last weekend, hiked in, hiked out. It was amazing, exhausting, uh, but it was a beautiful place. And, and it's right here in Arizona. So those of you who hate on Arizona, stop. Right? We have some amazing places. And tell other people to stop as well. Um, there's these amazing waterfalls, but there's not just one. 
There's many. So there's Navajo Falls, and there's Hidden Falls, and there's Mooney Falls, and there's Beaver Falls, and there's Havasu Falls. It's an amazing place, and all the water is blue and clear. But it's not just that. Uh, There's lazy rivers you can float on, like God's lazy river, not a water park's. There's places you can jump off rocks into deep water. You can swim around, and it's cool and refreshing. It's like an adult playground. It's an amazing, amazing place. And listen, uh, you're going to hear a lot of more sermon illustrations from there. So just get ready for that over the next few weeks. Um, It's an amazing place, but listen, it doesn't hold a candle to the Garden of Eden. Whatever paradise you think of, maybe you've been to Hawaii, some other part of the world, and and you think, man, that is paradise. The Garden of Eden is way more than that. That the word Eden literally means delight. That God created for man a garden of delight. Do you see that? You see, this is important because if we just start at the, the knee getting split wide open and gushing blood, if we just start with the sin and the pain of it all, then we miss who God actually is, right? Uh, some of you walk in here this morning and you see God as this divine killjoy because the story starts in your mind with, well, we're all in need and we're all sinners and we're all like worms in the ground and, and I need Jesus. And listen, all of that is true and that's the story continued, but it doesn't start out that way. God has created a garden of delight for Adam to, to work, to care for, to steward, and to also enjoy. All these trees, all these rivers, it's an amazing place and God has given that to you as well. Now, is it corrupted by sin? Yes, and we're going to get to all that. But God has given you that same charge of stewardship. I was talking to another couple in our church who just uh, toured Europe. And we were like, hey, what was that place uh, that you were talking about or that we saw in the picture where there's that house and then there's that waterfall coming behind the house? And they said, that was Europe. That's all of Europe is the house with the waterfall coming behind it. And it's amazing. And listen, This is God's creation. We still get to experience that today, and we get to steward it, and we get to enjoy it. Now, here's what I know, is if you're really thinking about this, some of you might be thinking, well, Tim, I know how that verse continues, right? Verse 16 says, go for it. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Another translation says you are free to eat of every tree. Like, I know it starts out that way, but there's a but in there, and it starts in verse 17. Look at it with me. It says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely, you shall not eat from the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, again, if you're thinking, that brings up some questions like, God, you give us this amazing place, this amazing creation to work, to enjoy. Why give us the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why give us a rule? Why give us a boundary? You created everything. You didn't have to create that tree. You could have created everything great and nice and beautiful for us to work and enjoy. But but why create this other tree? Why give us a rule? Why give us a boundary from the beginning? Well, that's a big question. We're going to get into some of it. But here's the first thing I would say is because like any loving father, God gives loving instruction. It's like, for me, I'm a father of three. And when I start my grill at home, now you need to know we have a, a charcoal grill, 
which means every time I light that thing, it's a risk to my life and everybody around me. Right? It's a dangerous thing. I think every time I light it, could I blow up the house today? And so it's a dangerous thing, and for whatever reason, every time Daddy's out there grilling on the charcoal grill, all my kids come outside, right? I mean, they want to hang out. They want to look at the fire. I think they're future pyrotechnics. I'm a little worried about that. But they come out there, and especially my two-year-old. My two-year-old gets right next to Daddy. She walks. She puts her little pool right next to the grill. She walks by it every chance she gets. And I'm grilling, and I'm doing my thing, and I'm like, Jaya, Tanavi. Tanner, Jaya, that's my wife, and she's always wanting to walk by the grill. And listen, the grill is flaming hot, potentially explosive. <laughs> and my little two-year-old walks by that. Now, is it good for me to say, Tanavi, have at it? You want to see that fire? How about you just not see it? Why don't you take a jump in? Would I be a good father? The easy answer, No. Now, would I be a good and loving father if I, if I told my little two-year-old daughter, Tanavi, if I said, hey, Tanavi, why don't you stay over here? I'm going to take your pool, and I'm going to put it over here, and you can play with the Barbies over here. And, and the grill, let's just stay far away from that. Maybe even put a perimeter around the grill and make it safe that way. Would I be a loving father then? Yes. Because a loving father gives loving instructions. And so even as we look at the creative order, God begins to give boundaries in creation and say, hey, there's some things you can do and there's some things you can't do. There's some things you can eat and there's some things you can't eat. And it's not that God is cruel in doing that. It's that he's a loving father. No one would question that about fathers in this room or mothers in this room. So why do we question it about God? God is a loving father. And yes, do we get to steward everything? And yes, do we get to enjoy and work everything? But there's something he says, hey, don't go there. He draws a boundary around that to protect us because he loves us. And he does the same thing for you today. If you are dating in here, some of you are single and dating, listen, that's awesome. Like, ask a girl out on a date. You should do that, right? Guys, girls, they should do that, right? Don't play around, don't play the game and be like, hey, you want to go hang out for a little while? No. Ask a girl out on a date, dinner, pay for it, make that happen, right? It's a good thing. Spend time with one another. Become friends with one another. Dating can be an amazing thing, but listen, you need to guard your heart in that. Because the reality is in dating, you're committed, to, you're committed but you're not in covenant yet. And so you need to guard your heart. Right? There's a boundary there. So some of you who are married, amazing, right? Enjoy one another physically, spiritually, emotionally. Enjoy one another. But listen, don't enjoy everybody. Just enjoy your spouse, right? There's a guardrail set up. There's a boundary. If you like to drink wine, amazing. Drink a glass of wine, but don't drink 10. Right? Don't get drunk. There's a, there's a boundary there. If you are Using money, working a job, use it to provide and bless others, but don't worship it. Put it in its rightful spot. There's, there's a boundary there. There's a guardrail there. God did in creation what he still does for us today. He models it in creation with Adam and Eve for us today. Right? Now, again, some of you are still thinking about this because you're very logical people, and I know that, and you're very... Uh, able to reason people, and you're thinking, but Tim, okay, I get that. That seems to make sense. But again, God created everything. He's sovereign. Why put the tree, right? 
Well, that's a whole other sermon series, first of all, on why does God allow evil? Uh, but I don't want to just bypass it. As I looked about this, looked at this, I thought, is this going to be the whole Adam and Eve sermon? And I just said, no, it's not. But, but we will address it to some extent. And the way I would address it is this. I would answer the question with a question. Because that's the genius thing to do, right? The question I would ask, if you're thinking through, why does God allow this tree to begin with? The question I would ask is, what's the point of everything? Easy question, right? What's the point of everything in Scripture from beginning all the way to end? What's the point of everything in our world to get today? Well, if you believe the Bible, we would say the point of everything is to glorify God. It's his glory. God creates for his glory. God redeems for his glory. Everything points to his glory. And so if we know that truth about God, then, then why, why did God put this other tree in the garden? It's because somehow in God's providence, as he gives us the option, as he says to Adam, hey, hey, don't eat of this tree. You can eat of everything else. Don't eat of this one. He gives us, us the option to obey him and trust him and do what he says. Or to disobey him and trust ourselves and do what we say. And that in God's providence, he gets more glory when we look at God and we look at what he says and we look at the other things that we could go and do, the other trees that we could eat from, and we look at both of those things and we say, by the power of the Spirit, God, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to go here. I'm going to go here. And God gets glory when we do that. Listen, could God have set it up another way? Yeah, but he didn't. And should we try to figure it out? And should we try to reason it? And should we study the purpose of that? Absolutely. God gave you a mind to think and study. Absolutely. But listen, don't get to the point where you become the owner and God becomes the steward. Don't get to the point where you think, well, if I would have created it in my logical finite mind, I know God's infinite, I know God's omniscient, omniscient but if I would have created I don't think I would have put the tree there, God. Who's God? He is, not you. And so where we get off, listen, where Adam and Eve get off in the next chapter is they replace stewardship with ownership. Did God really say, are you sure God wants what's best for you? He just wants you to be like him. Did God really say, and we replace stewardship with ownership? So I know there's things you struggle with with the Bible. I know the problem of evil and God being sovereign and all-powerful. Like, how do we do that? And listen, we need to study that. You could spend your life studying that. But don't get to the point where you become God and you say, I want to be the owner because I know better than God. He knows better. In some way, this gives him more glory than if he would have done it any other way. Why? Because the point of everything is God's glory. And so part of stewardship is trusting, trusting God's ownership, right? Part of stewardship is trusting God's ownership, that we walk in that, that we trust. God, you have given us this land, this job, this money to steward. It's not mine. I'm going to work hard because it's good and right, and I'm going to enjoy the fruit of that labor because you are a gracious, loving father, right? So the first thing we see is we are made for that kind of Stewardship. The second thing we see is we were made for relationship. Look at Genesis 2, 18. 
It says this, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so if you're tracking with the whole story, Genesis 1 to Genesis 2, you should notice this is the first time that God says something's not good. Again, sequence is important. It's not that sin has entered. That happens in Genesis chapter 3. But in Genesis chapter 2, everything's good and right. But he says, hey, something's a little bit off here. It's not good for a man to be alone. Like, I'm not finished with this process yet. It shouldn't just be Adam. And so he goes on to create a helper fit for Adam. That's Eve. Now, as we look at it here, we're talking about the marital sense. But as we look at the whole of Scripture... We see that God has created us for relationship in general. You think about John 17, one of Jesus' last prayers before his death. He prays for the unity of believers. John 13, he says, the world will know his disciples how? By the way, they love one another. You see, over and over again, God gives these one another's, 59 total in the New Testament, one another, one another. That we wash one another's feet, John 13. We're devoted to one another, Romans 12. We greet one another, Romans 16. We forgive one another, Ephesians 4. We submit to one another, Ephesians 5. We admonish one another, Colossians 3. We pray for one another, James 5. 59 one another verses. And Eve is the first one another. Now there's some things as we look at that that are specific to the marital version of one another, right? We look later in chapter 2, it says they were both naked and unashamed. Now, that's specific for the marital relationship of one another, right? It would not be good for some of you to be naked and unashamed. If you're not married, that's reserved for married people, right? That one another is special and unique. But there's a lot of other things, even if, as you look at that phrase, helper fit or suitable, that it's the idea that a relationship, one should complement the other. That there's friendship, that, that loneliness is not a good idea, that isolation is not a good idea, even before the fall. God says, we have one another, we have this vertical relationship, but you also need a horizontal relationship where you love one another, where you are, are helping one another, where you complement one another. That's inherent in God's design way before the fall. And so here's one thing that means... We need to work on some of our worship songs, right? Like, all I need is you, God. You're all I want. You're all I need. Now, if we look at the creation account, it seems like that's not entirely true. I mean, it is in the salvific sense. All we need is Jesus for salvation. No other person can completely and you, complete you, and you shouldn't look for them to do so, right? In the salvific sense, but, salvific sense, but God has created us to relate to one another even in the very beginning. And so we need to sing songs that accurately depict that. We need to view life as that. And so we don't just isolate ourselves. We enter into relationship with other people that at our core, we have a longing for relationship. Yesterday, we do something once a month called Unite Phoenix. It's where we serve the city, serve downtown. And a group of us split off, and uh, some people went to this place called the Justice Center. And it's this place full of veterans and homeless people, but they're all elderly, and, and they're coming into this place to get care. 
And so a group of our people yesterday split off, went there, and, and as Stephen, our, our leader who leads some of this stuff up, as he's preparing us and, and we're going to go here and these people are going to go here, he talked about, hey, these are who these people are. They're veterans and elderly and they're, some of them are homeless. And I asked them, like, what can we do to help you guys? Can we bring you stuff? Can we make stuff? Can we help something go more smoothly in the functional day-to-day of the center? And what they said was really interesting. They said, no, you know what the best thing you guys can do with a few hours on a Saturday You guys can spend time with the people. You guys can build a relationship with these people. In fact, just show up, sit next next to one of them, and just ask questions. Just listen to them. Just treat it like an interview. Just get into their life. Because you know what? They don't normally get that, and they crave it. And so our people went in there, and they sat next to people for a few hours. And some of them were like, I'm kind of introverted. I don't know if I really want to do that. What am I going to say for two hours? And listen, all of them came back and said, man, it was so amazing. It was so amazing to sit next to these people and converse and build relationship and ask questions and actually listen. Because at the core of everyone, we desire relationship. They do. You and I do. We desire relationship. Why? We're made for that. Before the fall, we're made for relationship with one another. And listen, what we do see in chapter 3 is you have to contend for relationship in your life. Adam and Eve have to contend for relationship in their life. They they give in to temptation, Genesis chapter 3, and what's the very first thing they do? They blame one another. They move from loving and serving and helping one another to defending and deflecting with one another, right? And they have to contend for relationship in their life. They they move from a place where they're naked and unashamed, every guy's favorite verse. They move from that place to what do they do? They go get some fig leaves, and they begin to sew them together, and they put them on themselves. What are they doing in that moment? They're hiding, They're hiding from God. They're hiding from one another because they don't want to be fully seen. They don't want to be fully known. You see, we have to contend for relationship. Adam and Eve had to contend for relationship. It's the same for you and me, that all of us are going to try to sew on fig leaves and put them on and say, I'm just going to put my best foot forward. I don't want you to see these parts of me. I only want you to see these parts of me. I don't want to be fully known. I don't want to be fully uh, loved because that's kind of scary. And you're going to have to contend for that in your life. You're going to have to step out in faith in relationships in your life. It started from the very beginning. Adam and Eve had to do that. We have to do that. And listen, here's the problem is that as I talk to people about relationships and about community, most of the time I talk to people, they say things like this. They say, Tim, you know, I just don't really feel connected here. I mean, Tim, nobody really reached out to me. I mean, I was going through something and nobody called or nobody wrote me a card. I mean, I mean, maybe I should just go off and drift into isolation. And listen, when we say comments like that, and we all do that at times, what we're really saying is that relationships should be easy. You don't have to contend for them. It should just happen. You should just kind of fall into relationships and be like, oh, oh my God, what am I in right now? Is this a relationship? This is so great. That doesn't happen, right? It didn't happen for Adam and Eve. It doesn't happen for us today.
the day. We have to step into relationship. You don't fall into it. You step into it. You initiate. You don't say, who's going to come talk to me? You say, I'm going to go talk to somebody else. Listen, we need to learn that in the church. There's people in our church every Sunday morning who are sitting by themselves. And I see us walk in, and we walk in, and we sit on the other side. (laughs) Why do we do that? We're sowing fig leaves. We're thinking, maybe they know somebody else. Maybe I don't have to talk to them. Maybe they came with somebody. I mean, I'm sure they probably did. I think I've seen them before somewhere. I'm sure they're good, right? And we let insecurity, and we let defending and deflecting and, and all those things distort relationships, and we sow fig leaves. We have to contend for this in the church, in our, in our world. We have to contend for relationship, and the reason why we contend for it is because it's worth it, because this is how we were designed. So it's not just, it's just me and you, God. It's not just, imagine no one is else in the room. No, it's, it's you and God, but it's also you and about 100 other people in this room, right? We need to talk to one another. We need to invest in our vertical relationship with God, but also a horizontal relationship. That's why there's so many one another's in the Bible. That's why there's 50, 59 of them. If it were easy, God would have just said, love your neighbor, and that's it, right? But he doesn't. He gives us 59 verses just in the New Testament and says, hey, this is how you love one another. This is how you do relationship because it's hard. We have to contend for it and step into that because it's worth it. That's how we were designed. So God has created us for stewardship. He's created us for relationship. He's created us for all of these things, but... We split our knee wide open, right? I told you we were going to get to that part. We split our knee wide open. God, God helps us. He, he puts us on the map. He gives us all these amazing things, but we turn to sin. Right? And whatever that tree is for you, it's not the same tree in that garden, but it's a different tree for you, and you turn to sin. And we're all corrupted by that. So that, that means our stewardship is corrupted by sin. So your work is corrupted by sin. Your relationships, they're corrupted by sin. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with this story? Broken people, but there's a big God. How do we learn from this? Well, first of all, we, we do look at the story. We look at the intended design. We go back to the beginning and see, where did we get off in this? Like, how are, we, how are we not walking in stewardship? How are we not walking in relationship? Because it seems like these are good gifts that God gives his children, that he gives us. So we look at that. But we also look at how they split their knee wide open. We also look at the fall and how it's corrupted. And we learn from that and we say, hey, I can see down the path of sin and disobedience. And I can know because I have 66 books In the Bible, I have the creation account of Adam and Eve, and I can see where that path leads, and I'm not going to go there. We learn from this. We learn from the intent. We learn from the corruption. But we don't just stop there. We don't just stop with hearing how they made it up the mountain, how they split their knee wide open. We don't just stop there. We see how the story continues. That this story that began in a garden, it continues in a garden with another man, Jesus Christ. That Romans 5 tells us that through one man, Adam, and his disobedience, that sin entered the world. 
but through another man, Jesus Christ, that righteousness enters the world. And that one man in a garden was tempted and he gave in to sin. But that another man, Jesus, in a garden was tempted, but he overcame sin and went to conquer it at the cross. Right? Just like the story doesn't start with the knee split wide open, it doesn't end there either. Amen? The story continues. There's not just brokenness. There's redemption, and it happens through Jesus Christ. And so here's what that means for you and me today. You have the opportunity not to just trust Jesus for salvation. You have the opportunity to trust Jesus for stewardship and relationship. That he has empowered you to not just look at a good moral story and learn from it, but he has empowered you to work in and through and around you in your stewardship, in your relationship, to redeem it because he redeemed it on the cross. And so as we look at Adam and Eve, we need to look at it. We need to look at the good parts and the bad parts, but we also need to look at a big God who sent a better Adam, Jesus Christ, that, that we can steward, that we can experience relationship, not because we just learn some good principles, but because we follow a person. His name is Jesus. And so this morning, I want you to think through your stewardship, through your work, through your pleasure. I want you to think through your relationships. Are you stepping out in the power of Jesus, learning from Adam and Eve, but also stepping out in the power of Jesus to experience stewardship and relationship as he has designed you? That you would ask, how am I stepping out? Not how somebody else is going to step out and do that for me, but how am I stepping out? Not how my boss is going to step out and fix things at my work, but how am I stepping out at work? Not how somebody else, even your spouse, is going to come alongside and fulfill you, but how am I stepping out in that relationship by the power and example of Jesus Christ? We have that opportunity today to step into that, to step away from ownership and step into stewardship as God designed it, to step away from isolation and step into relationship. Where are you stepping? What direction are you headed? In this moment, we need to ask God, what steps is he calling us to take in that? Let's do that now. Father in heaven, I, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can look at a text like this and, and look at the hearts and lives of Adam and Eve but we can also look at a text like this that was written so many years ago and look at our own hearts and diagnose our own hearts and say, are, are we drifting towards isolation? Are we drifting towards ownership? Or are we walking in step with you in stewardship and relationship? God, I pray for these men and women. I know they walk in here drifting sometimes. I know they walk in here not believing you sometimes and not trusting this stewardship and this relationship that you have created us for. I know I walk in here feeling that way. And so God, I pray in these next few moments, you would break that within us, that you would enable us to repent, to turn from those things and to turn to the stewardship and relationship, but not just a moral lesson about it. You would help us to turn to Jesus Christ. God, you sent a better Adam. His name is Jesus. He fulfills everything Adam could not. And he does that in us. He does that in this church. And so God, help us to step into that so that we may experience the glory, the joy of your created design. It's a beautiful thing. And God, I do pray you would save us from the pain. 
Save us from splitting our knee wide open over and over and over and help us to pursue you and the joy that you have for us in your design. God, help us to choose that, walk in that, step into that this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.